0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Pragmatic Investor. My guest today is Mike Zaccardi. He is a fellow SA contributor, CFA and CMT, and a very prolific financial writer. His passion is putting a narrative on financial data. So that's exactly what we did today. We had a really long and in-depth conversation about markets. We recorded this yesterday, just after the JOLTS number, and after a significant rally in both stocks and crypto. So we had a lot to talk about. We covered the recent data with JOLTS, Uh, mike's expectations for inflation his general outlook on stocks we talked a lot about the technical outlook for various indexes i also got the chance to ask mike what he thinks are the best investments right now if he thinks we're going to have some sort of a market downturn in the near future and what in his view are the most important data points to be looking at for the coming weeks and months to determine where markets are heading Mike is incredibly knowledgeable, and it's always a pleasure talking to him. So, you know, I really took this chance to ask him a lot of questions, left no stones unturned. We even discussed some specific stocks that Mike likes, and really got into the weeds about how to manage a portfolio and find those great investment opportunities. If you'd like to follow Mike, you can do so on Seeking Alpha, and you can also check him out on Twitter, slash X, at Mike Zaccardi. As always, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. All right, Mike, thanks for coming on. Uh, quite a wild day in markets. Uh, the NASDAQ is up about 1.82%. I can't even keep track of it. Uh, Bitcoin is up uh, almost 7%, You know, reaching that 28,000 level almost again. Um, obviously, there's a couple of big catalysts uh, today, but uh, I'd just like to get your take on it. What's what's going on today? What's, what's moving markets?
1: Yeah, I mean, the big thing today was that JOLTS number, which came in. Uh, super soft in terms of uh, the demand for labor, uh, job openings, uh, the number of those uh, coming way down. The, you look at the three-month average now, the biggest drop on record, about two and a half million job job openings uh, to the downside, uh, which is great news, because that means the Fed might be uh, having its way with uh, slowing down the pace of, uh, of payroll growth, which is, of course, you know, one of the key metrics they have for uh, tightening financial conditions and cooling off the economy. So market like that today. But you know, I think you, you got to take a step back a little bit too. I mean, you know, last week, we had the Nvidia earnings release, which was uh, kind of a dud, uh, not in terms of the earnings they reported in their outlook, but in terms of the stock price reaction. So that kind of weight on markets, I think there's a lot of hoopla going into that. And that came and went and then we had Jackson Hole, uh, which you know is kind of a, a war shock test in terms of how people interpreted his message uh, that there is mm-hmm. something for the hawks and the doves and the bulls and the bears. So we got past that, and so I think today we you know the data itself is soft, which the market wants to see right now, and I think the rally uh, since this morning uh, is definitely you know it has hallmarks of of kind of a relief rally after a tough month. You know the S&P 500 was at one point down about six percent or so for August, and now we're down just about two. So uh, that's uh, an encouraging sign as we go into what is uh, typically the weakest month on the calendar for September. So uh, a little bit of optimism uh, going into that, Uh, but we got a long way to go between now and uh, the end of the week. You know we got a bunch more uh, employment data. On the way, we will get ADP uh, tomorrow and the big report on Friday for uh, the August job situation. Uh, also get a, another look at uh, second quarter GDP uh, later this week. So uh, it's a busy week and we'll get M- M2 money supply coming out, too. So uh, for the last week of August is actually a really busy economic mm-hmm. week that is going to set us up for September. Um, and then you mentioned the Bitcoin news. Um uh, the good ruling for uh, uh, spot Bitcoin ETFs, which mm-hmm. uh, now may open the door for any number of, of fund issuers to go ahead and uh, mint their own products. So you saw Bitcoin trade up uh, almost 2000 bucks on that, uh, just shy of 28 k right now, and, and ETH as well, uh, getting past 1700 Uh Interestingly, I think Coinbase was up a, up a bunch today, which is kind of weird mm-hmm. because you know, you would think if we're going to have all these spot crypto ETFs, it's like who who would want to or need to go to Coinbase to trade it? But maybe that was a little bit of a short covering move there, um, and maybe kind of this was priced in at least for Coinbase shares. So that was kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, a lot, a pretty active day in the market today. Uh, rates down huge, tech stocks up, so kind of that old narrative.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, just when everyone's tr- trying to get a week off on vacation, you get all this data, all this all this movement and all this stuff happening. Uh, yeah, like you mentioned, Coinbase app, I think some of that might have to do with the idea that um, I believe Coinbase is involved with BlackRock's ETFs. So I guess the idea there being that Coinbase can kind of benefit now that institutions are coming in, it's going to kind of be, mm. be the bridge that a lot of these institutions are going to be using for, you know, to handle their ETFs and all these purchases. Now, it's interesting. I was actually looking back at the conversation we had a few months ago for the Investing Experts podcast, and we did. You did mention back then, you know, we were talking about the uh, job situation and how you actually mentioned how probably towards the second half of the year, third quarter, we'd probably see that weakening. And you know, in fact, we did. We did get that with the jolts numbers. Um, obviously, market very happy that people uh, are going to find it tougher to get a job. Um, in terms of macro data. Obviously, we have a lot of stuff coming out. I was wondering what your take was on the uh, PC. I think we have PC on Friday. Um, what's your take on the inflation debate right now? Because obviously, you know, we got some interesting remarks from from how, You know, some people wondering whether we can get down to two percent as quick as possible. I think you look at stuff like the tips; they're pricing in a bit higher inflation in the last few weeks. Um, yeah, how do you how do you see those PC numbers and the outlook for inflation?
1: Yeah, well, uh, yeah, last week, uh, Powell kind of gave us a hint at kind of the July PC numbers. Now, it wasn't like a a leak or anything like that. But, you know, he was was generally, uh, you know, sanguine on where inflation may be headed. So, yeah, I mean, I like to look at the markets for the best gauge on expectations with those things. And you look at tips, yields and break evens uh, going out the next couple of years, going out five and 10 years. I mean they're pretty tame. The volatility in those is really low. Um, we had a little spike up uh, as oil prices rose uh, earlier this summer with the break-evens, but they're all suggesting that we're looking at 2, 2.5% two inflation over a number of periods. So um, it looks like we're on the right track. Um, I do think it, it will be tough to get that that uh, incremental move to 2% from 3 I think in the next few quarters, the wage growth numbers definitely have to retreat a little bit. But what could offset that potentially is a pickup in productivity. So, you know, if we get continued productivity gains, which we saw uh, for the previous quarter, um, that could support economic growth without it putting a whole lot of upside to inflation. So, that would really be a Goldilocks kind of. Uh, mm-hmm. Scenario and an indicator to watch, uh, but yeah, uh, I think like like most people, I think that getting that extra half a percentage point or one percentage point down on PCE and CPI numbers is going to be tough. Um, and you know, if we're a year from now and we have uh, you know core inflation running at two and two and a half, maybe the Fed at that time is kind of going to be okay with it, and they won't try and uh, send the economy, you know, dipping any further. Um, so that, that'll that be in- interesting. I think that could be the monetary policy theme of next year, now that we should have the rate hike, hike cycle done by November. Um, mm-hmm. So that'll be something to keep uh, riders like me busy, I think, next year talking on the macro front.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you mentioned that rate hike by November. Is that your outlook right now? I think that's pretty much I saw about 50% of the market is pricing in that by November, we will like either this September meeting or by November, at least that we'll have at least one more rate hike. Is that, that kind of where you stand right now?
1: I mean, I don't have a, a real firm outlook on that. I, the market's pricing in about uh, a six and 10 chance of a hike by the November 1st meeting. Um, so it probably happens. Um, the terminal rate is kind of held steady after a bump up last week. Um, so it seems like the market's okay with that. So it may not really even matter that much um, whether we get it or not. You know, the thing about those probability markets is, you know, like any betting market uh with an outcome date, the nearer you get to that date, the more the market kind of decides on it and the more the probability gravitates towards zero or, or one. Um so I think uh certainly after the September Fed meeting um and after we get a couple more CPI reports, we'll know we'll have a pretty good handle on what they're gonna do. Um, but, you know, you you consider that the Fed has, you know, raised rates, you know, 15 plus times in the last couple of years now in terms of quarter point hikes, um, that extra one, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just kind of uh, a formality more than anything, I think.
0: Right. Yeah, of course, of course. Now you were talking about the rally today and you did use the term, I believe, kind of a a relief rally. Uh, Is that Mm -hmm. what you're kind of seeing here? kind of dead cap bounce, are you seeing more immediate downside in the market?
1: Well, I mean, relief rally isn't a bad thing. You know, we, everyone's kind of waiting on, on this correction in the market. And, you know, folks like to look at 10%. Um, but, you know, we had to move down almost 10% in small caps. Um, the S&P held up better. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess I would still kind of bias more to the downside here for the near term based on, Typical seasonal weakness. Um, you look at a day like today, kind of going out on the highs of the day is pretty strong. Uh, I would say it has some hallmarks of a corrective move and a, a broader trend uh, lower in the near term. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I would say that if we do get a move lower, as if we approach that 10% mark, I, I see support in the market at about 4,200. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be a not a bad spot to... To buy the dip, so to speak, and that's also where the 200-day comes into play. Yeah. There about, um, so you know, I guess I don't see a whole lot more downside. But you know, given that we put in a, a peak there on July 31st and approaching September now, you know, we could certainly see uh, another move down. Um, but I think that would be a, a move to a, a move that would that should be bought. Mm,
0: absolutely, like you said, September. Traditionally, one of the weakest months, so definitely it's going to be interesting as the month is going to be starting in a couple of days. Now, of course, a lot of the latest macro news has revolved around the whole China story. Of course, we had Evergrande filing for bankruptcy, and the PBOC really kind of now showing some signs that it's really going to step in. Obviously, they believe the bank cut its benchmark rate a couple of weeks ago. More recently, there's been more talk of you know, they've been talking to banks about, you know, kind of uh, shoring up stocks. I believe yesterday there was an announcement that they were cut, that they were going to cut trading fees or something like that. Um, so, yeah, where do you stand on China? How do you fit that into the macro narrative and especially how do you think it affects uh, the U.S. at this point? If yeah, I mean,
1: China is always big, um, but it's a lot different now than it was, uh, I mean, even five years ago. I mean, it used to be you would wake up in the morning, check what China's doing, and now it kind of dictate a little bit what what our futures would look like. Uh, but that's not really the case anymore. Um, the market uh, seems to be fine with a soft China. I mean, you, lo- you look back to earlier this year, there was so much optimism regarding China's reopening uh, and the end of their zero COVID policy. And, you know, there was a bump up in their market for a time, but they've been kind of going straight down since the spring. Meanwhile, our markets have been doing just fine. So I don't think it's is uh, a big of an impact. Um I think any incremental gain that we can get from uh or at least any incremental uh encouragement from Xi Jinping and the China regulators would just be a bonus at this point because everyone assumes that they are just uh they have kind of this half-handed way of easing um mm-hmm. that doesn't really do anything so it's really almost just a, a signal more than an actual policy shifts you look at that the the trading uh you know percentage cut earlier this this week i mean that's just hardly anything right. and then the stimulus measures earlier this this month with cutting rates was much weaker than people were hoping for so um so yeah it's firmly entrenched that the chinese government is is no friend of business right now even with these moves that you know on the surface appear stimulative in nature but they're not really doing anything to you know amelior- ameliorate any of their issues uh with their economy um and maybe they don't want to maybe they they want to keep kind of what they have and the power they can kind of kind of inflict um in place uh so that gets very much into a lot of geopolitical matters uh but in terms of price action uh china stocks always look like they're trying to put in a bottom but then they always kind of end up rolling over Mm -hmm. so um the onus is on the bulls to carry uh fxi as the etf uh, look at there to carry that higher um and we're just not seeing that
0: too much right now Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i mean chinese stocks have uh, have burnt us a few times and you know it's uh it's definitely uh, investors are definitely a bit wary about uh, getting back into those markets Mm -hmm. now the other big uh, international economy, which you know has also uh, had quite of uh, headlines surrounding it, is, of course, Japan, right? So we had the uh, Bank of Japan kind of lifting that uh, yield curve control, the yen really sliding. And, you know, there's been some talk of um, the idea that, you know, the yen carry trade could be becoming unwound. Um, I don't know if you follow Michael Guyard. He's obviously also on Seeking Alpha, uh, pre-vocal on Twitter, very a very fun follow uh what are your thoughts on japan is that something that could uh, pose a risk to to the rest of the economies as the that yield curve control is unwinding any thoughts there
1: well i think what japan is doing you know is interesting from the the monetary policy perspective but then you look at japan stocks and uh, they're holding up pretty well especially if you uh, hedge out your uh yen exposure um mm-hmm. the dxj the japan hedged equity etf pretty much at uh, multi year highs here today so um you yeah, know price action is working uh mm-hmm. there um so yeah and you know the bank of japan was kind of the uh, <laughs> almost in a way dictated what the fed might do because they had they went ahead and made their monetary policy change kind of lifting their, their controls over their their yield curve mm-hmm. um allowing inflation to kick up and that kind of forced the fed's hand a little bit to I have to be a little more hawkish to, from a, a global coordination perspective. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it's a, it's always concerning when you see the yen uh, come under so much pressure as we've seen um, in terms of what that can mean for uh, money flows globally. But in terms of in, in terms of price action, you got to like what's going on in Japan. Um, some of the best performing stocks in the world this year are. Uh, Japanese small caps and some other sectors in that country so uh, you know price action wise uh, it looks pretty darn bullish over there in terms of the equities
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely and I remember that's also something we we mentioned last time that you know at the end of the day it's that you know price is obviously the the best the best indicator right because you know the the price is where where people's at it it kind of reflects what everyone's thinking but, you know, to that extent, we are getting kind of a lot of signs, obviously, China not doing very well with the real estate, uh, Japan kind of struggling a bit. Um, I mean, we've had other signs before, right? The UK uh, at one point also had a lot of uh, the UK bond market also had a lot of stress. I mean, yields, you know, not today, but they have been creeping up in um, in the US. And that also kind of brings back the idea of, you know, could we seek some kind of liquidity event? I mean, Banks, for example, right? You know, regional banks—they were in trouble two, three months ago. Now now yields are still at the same level. I mean, are they not in trouble anymore? Uh, And how is this? You know, all this stuff going on abroad—is that could that spark some kind of a liquidity event? Let's say some kind of a crash.
1: Well, I mean, you can—a crash can happen any time. So, yeah, I mean, the the answer is, of course, always yes to—you know—what what could happen. Um, but you know, there's always headlines out there, and there's always reasons to be afraid of markets, and uh, that's what creates your, you know, your essentially your equity risk premium to be going into stocks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's going to be chances are if we have a continued correction, any one of those reasons could be cited as the primary driver mm-hmm. of it. But a lot of those same issues have been known for quite a while. I mean, you look at the U.S. regional banks. We've known now for many months that that's not a great area. Same thing with uh, U.S. commercial real estate, you know, and what rising rates mean for all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's always a risk. Uh, But at the same time, you look at uh, what stocks and the dollar have done. um, They're not exactly suggesting that these are uh, cataclysmic events. Um, Mm -hmm. So... So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you can't help but draw the parallel to 87 in terms of some of the price action we saw this year so far. Um, And uh, the Treasury market is very important for maintaining liquidity Mm -hmm. in the system and a high level of interest rate volatility is a concern. You would like to see that come down a bit. I think it will once the Fed is, you know, kind of through with their hiking cycle. but yeah, it's a big risk and equity market volatility is kind of not reflecting that. We're, we see basically historically wide differences between the bond market volatility and stock market volatility, um, which is unusual and it's hard to really pinpoint. Um, it's I guess it's hard to kind of uh, explain, explain that away, you know, and, and how long can we have some of these wild movements in the treasury market which the market depends on for liquidity um, just as stocks continue to kind of hover near these uh, year-to-date highs so yeah it's a concern um, and if we're going to see volatility chances are it'll be between now and mid-october i can say that
0: mm-hmm. absolutely yeah and definitely like you say uh, we could do that comparison with 1987. I think also in comparison, maybe even to 2007, 2008, I mean, back then you had the, you know, bear stands collapse, you know, back then and market rally after that, right. And kind of shrug that off. And then of course, eventually we had the the real shoe dropping. So, you know, I, I do think that there could be an argument to be made there, but like you said, there's always, right. A recession is always coming at some point, right. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be a crash and, you know, someone's, someone's got to fill those headlines somehow. Yeah. Uh, that's and speaking sure. of headlines, so I wanted to talk a little bit now about um, some specific sectors, you know, gold, commodities. In terms of gold, uh, we did get some interesting news, of course. Well, it's not exactly news. It's been known for a while. But, you know, we had the BRICS summit, I believe it was last week. And, you know, the talk of them launching this gold-backed currency. Um, you know, any thoughts there on that gold-backed currency and the outlook for gold and, I guess, also uh, the dollar to that extent?
1: Yeah, well, I mean... I don't know about any kind of gold back currency. I think that uh um you know the ship has kind of sailed on the heyday for gold. Um, in terms of it being some kind of global standard, I don't think we're really going back there. Uh, but in terms of price action, um, you know, the biggest determinant of where gold goes is uh, real interest rates. And we've seen real rates climb big in the last um, I mean, really just since mid-July. And gold has hung in there. It certainly fell off its highs, but Um, You look at the uh, performance relationship of real rates and gold, and um, it's been impressive, I think, to see gold hang above 1900. So, you know, it's still an underperformer, though, on a relative basis versus so many things. So it's certainly a a large opportunity cost to be owning a significant gold allocation. Um, But, you know, should we see real rates kind of drop in a kind of a anti-inflation recession scenario uh with slower economic growth um that could certainly be the catalyst to take gold to new nominal highs um you know if we see a backup of a a percentage point in the real 10-year the yield uh that could easily send gold up a few hundred bucks within uh
0: you know uh
1: several month time frame uh but i mean It's really just kind of wavering under its highs. It's very unimpressive, unenthusiastic price action. Volatility is really not all that high in gold right now either. So, um, yeah, it's not really not too exciting right now. And then in terms of the dollar, um, you know, a really big move from mid-July. We were under 100, now near 104, although today was a really ugly day for the dollar after that JOLS number. Uh, Mm -hmm. The dollar really tanked after that. Um, But after peaking last September, it too is kind of just meandering. So, you know, we're kind of seeing this with a lot of currencies outside of the yen, uh, really kind of trendless action, um, which, you know, stocks, I think, would definitely be happy with a sideways dollar in the near term after this big run up in the last six or seven weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially when you look at uh, the earnings picture, if the dollar hovers in the low 100s without too much volatility. That that should just kind of smooth out the earnings picture for the S and P 500. Um, so, so yeah. Um, after today's move in the dollar, I'll be interested interested to see if the bearish move today is kind of backed up later this week, especially after the jobs numbers. So, uh, maybe a key week for the dollar here in terms mm-hmm. of a potential reversal back lower. We'll see, um, but uh, definitely some interesting action intraday today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the dollar, I think very important moving forward, we've seen it really kind of hold that very strong correlation with with markets and it's kind of determining, you know, where it's going to go. So, you know, higher dollar from here, I think definitely will will send markets lower. But, you know, if we can uh, if we can sustain that downtrend, then, of course, you know, blue skies ahead, probably. Now, another commodity that has done a little bit better, at least in recent weeks, is oil. What's going on there?
1: Yeah, oil's uh, had a nice run uh, from the mid 60s up to the low 80s. And now it's kind of hanging out. Um, Definitely an impressive move considering the move in the dollar as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And also in light of the fact that economic growth outlooks um, generally, um, I mean, the outlooks themselves have been not all that bad. We've seen pretty positive economic surprises lately. But the consensus is, of course, that we should see slowing growth in the second half, maybe troughing out in Q1 next year. So the move higher in oil is is pretty impressive. You know, of course we have the SPR at 40 year lows in terms of um how much that's that's been filled. And then the global demand picture doesn't look all that great. Meanwhile you have US production very strong. Um so so yeah, I think we gotta break above this eighty-three dollar level or so on oil to to see some, uh, the next leg higher until then, we're kind of just in a kind of a wait and see mode uh, with that, but be on the lookout for, for oil. If we do see that dollar dip back toward hundred, that could be lift off for oil, uh, which should certainly help the energy stocks and cyclicals out there um, as the second half uh, progresses. So yeah, it's uh, been an impressive move, I think, given all that's been happening at a macro level, in the last couple of months to see oil uh, recover, like it has. Um, So I'm I'll definitely keep my eye on the 83 level on WTI to see if we can break out above there.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I also wanted to talk about um, agricultural commodities, right? And you actually wrote an article pretty recently, a couple of days ago, about a specific stock. Uh, How do you pronounce this? bungee.
1: Oh yeah Bungie. yeah, that's always a, a fun one uh I think they just got added to was it added to the s and p um it was in the news for being mixed up in the in, in the indexes mm-hmm. um but yeah, uh my outlook on that was is pretty bullish um you look at the valuation situation with them um uh, it's looking pretty good, and uh they should benefit from some of the, the rising demand for renewable energy around the world mm-hmm. and um a lot of their uh, a lot of their operations and their processing and merchandising areas look pretty promising. Um, and they had uh, really strong earnings uh, earlier this month, uh, which helped out too. So, um, so yeah, Bungie is, is uh, one I came out bullish on. Uh, the chart as well, which is always a key part of my analysis, looked pretty good. Uh, it got above a key level of resistance there around 107. Um, so as long as we stay above there, we should be good. Um, and it's coming up a, per- a period of uh, almost a couple of years of consolidation, so uh, keep an eye on 128, the prior high. If we get above that, it could be definitely uh, blue skies ahead for Bungie. Mm-hmm.
0: Just as a quick overview, what, what what is the Bungie's business exactly? What do they do?
1: Yeah, so uh, what they do, they're in the staples sector, um, agricultural products.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so it's kind of like a food business. They have operations around the world, like $60 billion in sales, so a big player uh food production fertilizer to farmers buying handling selling oil seeds grains so um they kind of do a lot of that uh middle ground in the ag space so they're not like maybe a direct producer of some of those things but they support a lot of the operations to uh, get food service operations to customers and consumers
0: Mm -hmm. of course now since we're talking about single stocks right now we also talked briefly before about nvidia but I'd like to get a bit more of your thoughts on what you thought about the earnings and also what do you think about the chart? Because, you know, uh, I mean, personally, I don't, I don't see it as a great chart right now, at least in that technical perspective. I thought um, the earnings have to be, to be desired. I was I was a bit baffled by that buyback, to be honest. Um, I don't know. What were your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely blew out earnings once again. Um, and then you look at today, it actually settled today at an all-time high on mm-hmm. a closing basis. And, you know, one of the principles of technical analysis is it's uh, closing prices that matter uh, while those intraday reversals can look important. Um, if you just focus on the closing prices, you tend to get uh, better outcomes in terms of identifying and sticking with trends. So mm-hmm. yeah, closed uh, today at about 488. So within a stone's throw of the gap higher um, last week up and up in the low 500s. So yeah, uh, we pulled back quite a bit more than about right about 10%, which is certainly healthy. And then today you saw a pretty giant move uh, in the stock price uh, worthy of about what, 4% on a trillion dollar company. So $40 billion market cap gain today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, uh, I, I think it's doing all the right things. Um, it got maybe too frothy. They're mm-hmm. heading into that earnings report. Uh, people were expecting big things and they got it with the, the earnings, uh, sales, earnings and guidance. Um, and then we pulled back. But now with today's rally, uh, we're almost right back in new highs. So the dip buyers appear to have come out and uh, this stock shows no signs of wanting to ever fill that gap that we saw back in May. You know, A lot of uh, novice traders and kind of casual technicians uh, have this kind of idea that gaps on a price chart like always have to get filled, mm-hmm. which is totally not the case you know, gaps come in three varieties. You'll have a breakaway gap, a runaway gap, and an exhaustion gap. And if we consider the one in May a breakaway gap, I mean, that can go years or just never get filled. And that's totally fine. Um, whereas the gap last week was maybe a little more of a short term exhaustion gap. And that got filled and some and now we're just all I mean a few days later, right back to um where that was. So to me that's pretty encouraging. Um. So yeah, I like. Uh, I generally like the chart here. It's generally from bottom left to top right. So uh, pretty good action there. And if this breaks out to new highs in the next couple of days, um, you know that would, to me, that'd be a very an, encour- an encouraging sign for the uh, encouraging sign for the broader market.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, like you said. You know, the market has been in general led by those tech t- stocks, that AI narrative. Now, moving forward, though, given that we've had this big run up in tech, are there any other sec- interesting sectors? What do you think is is tech going to keep up performing, or are we getting a bit more of a rotation to other sectors, um, commodities, cyclicals?
1: Well, you know, earlier this year we had industrials performing really well. Uh, energy has kind of come back uh, in the last couple of uh, months with oil prices rallying. But like you said, uh, bigger picture. Um, For all intents and purposes it's discretionary comm services and technology that have been outperforming those the only three sectors that are beating the s&p 500 so far this year uh you know if you pull that back a few more months uh you'll see some other sectors participating so it's been a little more broad based in a a sense um in the last three months energy is the top performing sector Mm -hmm. Um, that could surprise some folks and you have some defensive areas like staples utilities uh, weakest areas in the market. So I mean, to me, the sector situation is not exactly screaming bear market or Mm -hmm. recession. I mean, you get, to me, you get discretionary and energy teaming up to lead the market higher in the last few months. Um, That is uh, a pretty encouraging thing. And then you get a lot of uh, global multinational industrial companies outperforming too, in that stretch uh, this summer. So um, uh, i wouldn't be surprised to see energy you know kind of lead the way in the second half you know keep leading the way in the second half um with a little bit of a baton toss from mega cap tech to some of those more risk on cyclical areas um just based on recent price action but anything can happen um and of course with energy anything resource dependence moves in the dollar and any kind of fears over economic growth you know that could Definitely send those those sectors into a pretty quick correction. So, um but you know, gun to my head, I would still say energy industrials. I would rather be overweight those areas than uh, big cap tech.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And if we do get a little bit of a sell-off correction, where's where's the place to hide? Can we can we get into start getting into bonds?
1: Um, I think that's tough because you know we still see a, a positive correlation between stocks and bonds right now. So. It's hard to kind of uh, bottom pick um, or at least take a stab at when the right day is to say that treasuries are all of a sudden going to become a really good diversifier. Um, From a longer term perspective, I have, you know, no issues having a bond allocation now because even if we see a a continued rise in rates, Mm -hmm. the nature of duration and convexity means that A one percent move higher in rates today means a whole lot different than it did two years ago. Mm -hmm. So you can make up with income yield uh, a decline in a bond's uh, trading price uh, quite easily. Um, So I think bonds are probably fine longer term, but in in the near term, you know, we still see that positive correlation between Treasuries and stocks right now. So I don't know if that would be a, a great place to hide. It would probably take some really unforeseen event to cause a flight to to safety kind of trading atmosphere out of stocks into treasuries. Um, I mean, you look at uh, today, for example, I mean, <laughs> we saw stocks way up, bonds were way up. So we just continue to trade uh, kind of like for like on stocks and bonds. Um, so if, you know, if we, if we do see uh, a move lower in stocks, um, Your more, I guess, cash flow heavy areas of the market uh, may do well, and maybe um, you know, stocks are still down a couple percent in the last month, and energy is still still outperforming in that time. Maybe energy is kind of a good diversifier, just the energy equities themselves, um, right now. So um, yeah, that's uh, I I would still keep an eye on like energy, healthcare. I think those are two sectors that. May kind of buck a trend if we do see a move lower in the overall market.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and very good point there, as you mentioned on how you know those bonds really the interest the interest rates and kind of can easily compensate now at this point. And just to wrap up, moving on to like looking out towards the next two, three, four months, uh, what kind of macro indicators are you most looking at? Let's say in terms of a. Uh, and leading and showing you where where things are going. What are what are you keeping an eye out for right now?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question because for so long now we've had the soft data. You know, your manufacturing survey surveys mm-hmm. and uh, consumer you know uh, pulses. That those have just been so you know in the gutter uh, for so long now. Uh, even the leading economic uh, index that the Conference Board puts out. That's been terrible, terrible for so long. So some of those things that were once thought to kind of be harbingers of where the economy is heading—I mean, that's kind of been broken. Um, And then, of course, you know, labor market data, inflation data. A lot of that stuff is so backward-looking. Even the JOLTS number this morning—I think it was like the June number for JOLTS. I mean, so it's so much, so much in the rearview. To me, I think what you might want to look at are simply the actions of executives and what corporate body language is telling us. Um, I write for a company called Wall Street Horizon, where what we do each week is we uh, look at corporate event data and kind of parse through the noise, trying to figure out what companies are telling us without actually telling us, right? So we go through a lot of data to try and figure that out. Um, One article that we worked on last week was looking at the number of of splits, um, stock splits. Mm -hmm. So we analyzed the number of reverse splits versus traditional splits. And that's been very, uh, very bearish this year, which actually kind of makes sense because so many companies, uh, small companies have have struggled and it's Mm -hmm. been the large caps that have outperformed. Mm -hmm. Um, But as uh, you know, we just wrapped up Q2 earnings season, but Q3 earnings season will begin in October and uh, getting a sense from executives and what they're seeing, um, and some of their internal data at the consumer level. I mean, that's, I think the best we can do right now, just because so many data points are have proven to be false signals in the last uh, few quarters. Um, so it's tough. And, you know, being a technician, I always like to say price is the ultimate arbiter yeah. of these things. So pay attention to uh, inner markets, uh, what's going on between you know, stocks, bonds, commodities, and currencies. Uh, what's going on among the 11 sectors. Um, I think uh, that in itself is going to tell you the most uh, about the macro. So it is tough right now uh, to kind of parse through all the noise. And so many relationships that had once worked now don't. (laughs) But that's the nature of markets. And you always have to be uh, open to changing correlations. And that's kind of the biggest skill, I think, to navigate uh, the market right now.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's a great summary. And I think a great place to wrap this up. Um, Before we log off, just let everyone know uh, where they can find you on the internet.
1: Yeah, just follow me on Twitter, Mike Sicardi. I'm not trying to sell anything. I'm not looking to uh, get any subscribers, anything like that. Just you can follow me if you want. You can read my stuff on Seeking Alpha. Uh, But I just try and uh, put my thoughts out there. And um, and yeah, as a writer for uh, freelance, uh, as a freelance writer for a bunch of different clients, Uh, staying busy and just keep my eye on the markets at all times. That's for sure.
0: Absolutely. Well, there you have it. Do yourself a favor, follow Mike on Twitter. I know I do. And Mike, as always, it's such a pleasure to have you on. You're always really interesting to get your takes on the markets and, you know, I hope we can do this again sometime.
1: All right. You bet, James. Thank you.
0: All right. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pragmatic Investor. If you enjoyed this conversation, Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Pragmatic Investor. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow me on Spotify or YouTube. And if you'd like to get more of my content on investing, different trade ideas, weekly videos and newsletter updates, you can follow me on Seeking Alpha or also on Substack. Uh, Plenty of free weekly content out there, so be sure to subscribe and don't miss out. You can find me on Substack, The Pragmatic Investor, James Ford, and also on Seeking Alpha.